Welcome to the CIO Evolution. In this podcast, we'll explore the Chief Information Officer's role in executing a new ongoing leadership imperative, digital transformation that promotes agility and resilience. How do CIOs upgrade legacy networks? What are the financial challenges CIOs face? And what are the security measures that are required in the new work-from-anywhere mobile and cloud-based world? Hi, this is your host, Chris Jablonski, Director of CXO Revolutionaries and Community at Zscaler. Among the biggest stories in cybersecurity this year are the new rules that the Securities and Exchange Commission put in place for disclosing cyber breaches. These rules finally went into effect on December 18th. Barring some exceptions, public companies must disclose material hacks in four days and use new form 8K rules for reporting material cybersecurity incidents. If you listen to the show, you may have tuned into the last episode, which featured a panel discussion with board directors about cyber risk. I re- recommend you give it a listen because it adds valuable context to a new book we published that we will learn more about today. It's called Cybersecurity, Seven Steps for Boards of Directors. I recently interviewed Sanjit Ganguly, CTO in residence at Zscaler and a frequent guest on the show. He was among several contributors to the book and has valuable perspectives on its core message and why it's so pertinent in a world of intensifying cyber threats. Welcome Sanjit Ganguly to the CIO Evolution. Sanjit is the CTO in residence at Zscaler and a former Gartner analyst. He's joining us to discuss yet another book that he lent a helping hand in writing. Sanjit, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on yet another book. Uh, This one is also three digits in page length, very impressive work. So tell me, what was it like working with boards of directors on a book that is, you know, for their peers rather than for the technical audience, you know, which has been your focus uh, in the previous books, like Seven Elements of Highly Successful Zero Trust Architecture? Yeah, great, great question, Chris. Um, So as you noted, you know, this is our our third book in our, what we like to call our Seven series. Um, So we started a few years ago. Um, focusing on essentially security architects and network architects, really defining zero trust architecture, what it means in, in a book we called Seven Elements of Highly Successful Zero Trust Architecture, and then migrated to really kind of the next level, the, the CXO level. So what a CTO, CISO, CIO, well, and even maybe even a CEO, CFO might need to know about you know zero trust. What became really av- evident and especially so in light of many of the um, SEC regulations that are making boards more and more responsible for overseeing cyber risk, was we needed a a, a piece of literature, a book um, to cater to the board of audience, the board of director audience. So what we essentially did was partner with uh, two board directors: one, Andy Brown, who sits on the Zscaler board, and Helmuth Ludwig former CIO of Siemens, but now sits on several boards, um, to help us write this book essentially by board members for board members. And ultimately, um, 
you know, we, we took a lot of feedback from not just the both of them who helped us write it, but also from, from broader board members. And a couple of things really popped out, you know, when you, you know, work with a, a different, you know, type of audience, you know, in general, board members are not generally coming from technical backgrounds. Some are, but for the most part, I think our, our research showed probably about 80% don't have a technical background. They often come from financial backgrounds, legal backgrounds, compliance backgrounds, accounting backgrounds, you know, HR backgrounds. So, you know, the the content and how we discuss topics in the book, we, we felt had to be put in that context of how they do their current duties. And so one of the big themes of the book is, you know, that assessing and managing cyber risk is really not that different than everything they do today when it comes to financial risk, business risk, reputational risk, looking at leadership, right? It all is interdependent. And, and certainly, um, it, if cyber is an important pillar, if not the backbone of many of those other things that they look at. So that was one. Um, the other one, you know, certainly, you know, the, the audience is, I would say, you know, you know, just empirically an older audience, right? The average age of a, of a board member is 62. So, you know, kind of explaining a lot of the, the more, uh, you know, technical aspects with with that in mind was, was certainly part of how we wrote the book. And then finally, you know, a lot of it came down to um, addressing some of the non-technical, you know, so, so certainly there's a technical element of managing cyber risk, but a lot of it is not technical, right? There's mindset and process and org and skill sets and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So we felt it necessary to, to, to figure and, and address that in quite a bit of detail as well. Right. Yeah. Reading the book, I see there's a lot of value for a board member. And then there's value also for an executive leader, such as a, a CISO or a CIO. Would you say that the book helps uh, one audience more than the other? Or is the goal to really achieve a blend so that that they, these two groups could find common ground for aligning, you know, cybersecurity with the business. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, so you know, we've obviously been working very closely with board members, and we participate with the National Association of Corporate Directors, where we're distributing the book through. We were just at their annual conference where the books flew off the shelf. So, as you said, a huge appetite among board members. But to your point. Look, you know, 70% of board members, this is a poll that NAC did, D did um, last year, 70% of board members say they don't quite really understand when they talk to a company CIO or CISO, what exactly how they're describing the cyber risk of an organization. So there's a big gap in not only what board members need to learn, but also how executives and technology executives within a company communicate with the board. Right. And how they frame their existing cyber risk, how they frame mitigation attempts, how they quantify acceptable versus mitigatable versus transferable risk. There's a lot of education that's needed both on the board side, but also on the CISO and CIO side. So the way of the, the book and, and frankly, we've seen a lot of uptake from our executives as well um, is to read the book as a way to understand how to communicate better with the board and put things in, in a frame of reference that, that they need to see it from. And having you know two board members help us write the book really kind of helped us there. It's helped us put things in a board member perspective to help you know CIOs and CISOs communicate better to you know improve from that 70% obviously down to something lower. After reading the book, a CISO, for example, would be able to further understand how the rest of those roles that you mentioned, because a board member could have had 
you know, a career in HR or finance, you know, for a CISO to understand the language of risk through the eyes of those different functions, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%, right? So as an example, you know, board members have played a big role in you know, hiring, you know, and, and ultimately firing, you know, C-suite level executives, right? If you look at CIOs and CISOs, and primarily CISOs, the average lifespan of a CISO is, is 18 months or maybe two years. It's incredibly low. Um, and so boards, you know, a big function of their job is selecting leadership, right? So one thing that we, we emphasize in the book is what type of leaders should you be looking for, technology leaders should you be looking for when you're filling C-suite positions? And ultimately, you, you have to look, you know, they need to look for leaders that are progressive minded in terms of how they think about technology, like they're willing to take steps um, and not, you know, rely on old legacy architectures that lead to breaches, but rather adopt some of the, the more, um, you know, modern architecture that really prevent against many of the things you read in the headline. So, yeah, ultimately, it, it, it kind of helps really all audiences put themselves in the seat of a board member to understand kind of what they're going through from a from an oversight perspective. Well, you pretty much answered the next question I had in mind, but maybe you could augment it a bit because you, know, you have the summary of what the book's purpose is and how it helps. But what would you say the the core takeaway would be for somebody who's, you know, maybe they're they have the book, they're maybe gonna plan to read it on, you know, during the holiday, but you know, what is the one thing that they needed to know today? Yeah, good question. And and one thing we did do at page 82 is a cheat sheet. So if someone wanted just to, to read the highlights and not actually read the book, they could just skip to that page. But you know, one of the reasons we broke this into the seven, you know, seven steps, and you'll notice kind of a seven theme among all of our books is that, you know, seven steps are, they're easily digestible. They're, they're often quite actionable and they're, they, they feel like they, that, that you can make progress on them. So we broke the book in these seven chapters. Um, the first one being kind of cheekily titled get on board. Um, because first of all, we had to, you know, kind of explain why board members have a role at all, right. In this, in this cyber risk management strategy. And, and frankly, it was, always there, but it's become much more prominent of late, given the SEC regulations, where now SEC will need to see for U.S. public companies how board members are actually overseeing risk, right? So there's potential fines, potential litigation, right? They need to, they need to be aware of. So that's part of it. So first is, what is the board member role? That's number one. Number two, how does a board member actually prioritize cyber risk, right? In, in the sea of 100 other things happening, right? I mean, certainly... Sarbanes-Oxley, other regulations are there from a compliance and regulatory perspective they need to be worried about. There's, like we said, compensation. I mean, there's all these different you know, um, committees on the board, right? So how does the cyber get enough mind share, right? And typically you'll see that, you know, most boards maybe spend an hour a year on this topic. And then maybe the audit and risk committee spends an hour a quarter on this topic and the question is is that enough right not to mention now with the new sec rules if a breach were to happen companies have four days in which to file an 8k to let the public know and as you can imagine that whole concept and this is what they call materiality whether the breach is material or not determines whether they let the public know about it that often is a ceo ceo cfo slash board level decision 
So as you can imagine, an hour, a quarter, an hour, a year is just not suitable for, for the level of, of oversight required. So number two is prioritize. Number three is about how do you assess cyber readiness, right? So what questions should a board member ask? Smart questions should they ask to say, hey, are we ready or not if and when something bad is going to happen? Um, step four does go into technology, right? Because at the end of the day, it is about architecture. It is about having the right technical um, things in place. But then step five is how to address the non-technical factors, right? So how do you get mindset? How do you skill set or hire the right executives that have the skill sets? How do you train your employee base, you know, process level, organization level? And then we go into many of the obstacles. So as you can imagine, you know, there's there's obviously going to be a number of things that will block successful um, prioritization. So we address that. And then finally, a lot of it is not just, you know, a single time event, but rather measure and repeat. So that's step seven, right? So how has this become a continuous improvement stage where you take steps to mitigate risk, you let's say adopt some technology, you get the right leaders in place. How do you see if that was, you know, if that was successful? And we go into some, you know, financial models and how do you map liability and how do you, you know, map the, the cost benefit of, of, of implementing new technologies. And then obviously, you know, do that year over year. So those seven steps we feel are pretty digestible. And like I said, there's a cheat sheet at the end if someone just wanted to skip it all and just go to the get the get the main points. Across those seven steps, I mean, they're very straightforward. They're clear and most likely much simpler said than done. But is there any um, special attention that any one of those steps uh, would deserve to really get this flywheel going? Yeah, I think I think I mean, I think most boards kind of are at the step one, they're, they're on board. Number two, they are prioritizing. I think where, you know, the, the gap is really is on the assessment, right? So that's step three. And really for board members to know what, you know, what deep questions they should be asking um, to provide good oversight, but more importantly, how they interpret the questions that or the answers they're getting back. So like I said, you know, that 70% number of, you know, of, of boards responded that they didn't quite understand or really know how to what to do with the information they get from CISOs, you know, there's a big gap in, in terms of how CISOs present information to the board. So I would say step three, it's probably the long, even the probably one of the longer chapters, but it does go into a lot of depth into, you know, how, where are we today? Do we have the processes in place to deal with something bad happening? Do we have the technology in place? And not to mention, you know, when it comes to the 8K or, or even the, the new SEC rules around the 10K, like, do we even know how we would report publicly what our what our assessment is? So, yeah, I think that's probably the crux of, um, you know, if, if they were to focus on step three, I think that would be a good place to focus on. Right. And I would imagine, depending on the industry, the culture of the company, the size of the company, its maturity and all the other variables would really make this cycle very unique. Uh, but one thing that does seem to be a, a universal requirement uh, as far as a skill that the board could bring is to ask like the right questions because they can't be an expert in, in everything. And I guess you'd be really lucky if you had an, an executive with cyber experience on the board. But I would imagine most don't. And as a result, you got to have a very good knack for asking you know, the right questions. And the book has great examples that the board should be asking, you know, who is responsible for setting and control access policies? Who is responsible for maintaining secure connectivity? So on and so forth. Do you have any examples of the right kinds of answers? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think the answers, I mean, A, obviously should be clear, but they should also be kind of broken into, you know, three categories of risk, right? So A, all answers really need to be focused or, or, or put in a business perspective, which I think a lot of CISOs lack today in terms of how they report. They report very much from a technology perspective. Everything needs to be put in a business context. So to a business, there's kind of three forms of risk that they need to think about. Number one, it's mitigatable risk. So cyber risk that they can actually pay money and technology to reduce, right? That's the kind of the biggest lever that you have, the board has and executives have to change. And then there's a transferable risk. This is the risk that you transfer, let's say, via cyber insurance policies, which you know have their own issues on their own, but you know, you know, it is what it is, but cyber insurance. But then it's about acceptable risk, right? So anything that you're not doing to address risk then becomes acceptable risk. And so if you know questions can be addressed in that manner. So let's take let's take a particular question. You know, so if one of the questions we talk about this in, in one of the chapters, um, you know, what what programs are in place if the company is breached? You know, what what can we do both internally or customer data to deal with that? That's a question for the CISO. The answer should be here are the programs in place that reduces our mitigatable risk by X percent um, that leaves a certain amount of acceptable risk. Um, and at the same time, acceptable risk in the case of a breach would likely cost us between X dollars and Y dollars based upon some, you know, some estimates that we have. And we can mitigate it if you were to have a budget of X. Right? Those are the type of answers I believe and kind of our, you know, we believe that boards are looking for because it puts it in very clear context from a business perspective, a dollar cents perspective. And frankly, um, you know, given a lot of these, a lot of these SEC rules, um, you know, we're advising CISOs to, to document kind of all these things that they're saying in the event of an enforcement action to make sure that it's very clear that they're being you know, very transparent about these are the risks that exist. And if you look at some of the, um, you know, filings or the, the uh, enforcement actions of the SEC against the SolarWinds CISO, Tim Brown, or even Joe Sullivan and Uber, right, that lack of accountability and transparency wasn't there. Well, before we get into materiality, you mentioned dollars and cents and being able to put everything into numbers. Would that include the ability to measure financially things like reputation loss, you know, due to say a breach where you have a bunch of customer data that's exposed or loss of sales and other intangible uh, impacts that stem from a cyber breach. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, a cyber breach is going to kind of, there's, you know, we have six different areas where you're going to get hurt, right? There's reputational damage, there's violation of data privacy for your customers, there's a liability from class action lawsuits, you know, loss of business, of revenue, loss of customers and partners and loss of access to cyber insurance, right? So those are losses. Now, look, you know, you can probably compute loss of revenue, Right, because you know, obviously, there is you know, if you if you're making X and you can make less of X, and it's going to cost you. I mean, it's probably there is we can probably have a pretty hard financial analysis, but everything else is somewhat more, um, you know, subjective. But what we would argue is even even for subjective risk, it's still important to try to put some dollar value on them, right? Because ultimately, you're going to need to at some point, you know, you know, figure out whether mitigation strategies are required. Mitigation strategies cost money. So, you know, a, you know, a, a breach, for example, you know, Clorox was in the news with a big, big breach. 
what was the reputational damage? Um, hard to quantify, but certainly something, an exercise that's worth doing, especially when you're now you're going to put that with um, what the strategy would be to remove that chance that it happened again. So yeah, it, it, it's subjective. We have some uh, some guidance in the book around kind of the different questions you can ask to try to gauge some of those, but it is a little bit of a subjective exercise for sure. Right. And I would imagine pulling together the executive team, the entire C-suite to put a dollar sign on the totality of a of, a, of an incident that is significant uh, is the key here, right? Yeah. And frankly, I mean, I mean, I would argue that it's not even the actual, you know, absolute value of the dollar amount, but rather tracking it over time, right? So if you say, hey, we made these changes and we were able to, you know, risk, reduce the risk of reputational damage by 10%, that's a more useful figure than the first number you come up with, right? And this is what, you know, we've, we at Visco have done with this risk scoring. You know, we have actually introduced some AI-based risk analysis that you can turn on that will automatically calculate in real time your organizational risk, but then track that over time. And then as you put in mitigation strategies, give you, you know, updated scores and then compare you to peers, you know, those are really useful, right? Because you're tracking and looking at trends, right? Ultimately, you want the trend to be going down. You want your risk level to go down. So, you know, I would say that the initial numbers, okay, maybe they're fuzzy, but really tracking it over time and then bringing it down, that, that's where it becomes interesting. As a result, the CISO could have a tool that could justify, you know, expenditures and investments across their cyber stack, right? Mm -hmm. Correct. As we move forward, uh, threats will no longer be considered a surprise, but pretty much rather expected or inevitable. Uh, what is your overall recommendation, Sanjit, for boards regarding all aspects of this topic, from business planning to supply chain preparedness, continuity planning, and just overall resilience? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, we see, I mean, you know, the studies have shown, you know, 85% or more of companies have been reached at some point. Um, the SEC is going to make those very public. So everyone's going to know, at least for public companies, um, who's been reached. So to your point, yeah, it's, it's more of a question of when, if not if, and not if. So, you know, it, it requires a, a bunch of things. Number one is, is education, right? Everyone getting educated, boards, C-suite. But really, I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of these threat vectors are, you know, preying upon the naivete of, of employees clicking on links, for example. So a lot of it has to do with educating employees of being more cyber vigilant, for example. Um, but really, a lot of it also is, is preparing for the worst. Um, so you can, um, so one thing we advise in the book is doing what we call tabletop exercises, right? So going through and simulating for the board in the C-suite, what is a bad day, right? So a bad day, um, and one company at an airline would be, you know, planes are grounded, or there's this, you know, you know, heard some something you know more horrific happening at a manufacturing company. It's a defect being found or factory shutting down. To plan for what is a bad day, and if it is something cyber related, going through the steps of how would you, you know, address the situation? Would you pay the ransom, for example? How would you restore your systems? How would you let customers and employees know? How would you protect data? All of those things are are, are being prepared. You mentioned supply chain. You know, that's also an interesting topic because. There are things beyond your control, right? Because let's say you're using a third party, they have a breach, now your data is compromised. So figuring out how you would deal with that. And frankly, it's a little unclear from an SEC perspective, you know, if one of your partners is breached, your data is as part of the breach, does that mean your company has to also release an 8K? It's not quite clear what the recommendation is there, but that is certainly part of the discussion. 
Right. And that's why we're seeing some officials challenging the four day period for uh, disclosing material incidents, right? Yeah, exactly. There's there's actually uh, several uh, congressmen in, are, are pushing back and trying to either delay or, or change the SEC ruling. So that should be interesting to see how that plays out. Excellent, Sanjit. Thank you so much uh, for your time today and your thoughts. Any idea what your next book is going to cover? It seems like we've pretty much addressed all audiences. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I haven't quite thought about it. I'd love to do one just really focusing kind of a CFO level book. I think it's one of the areas we haven't dived into too much just because, you know, now with, with uh, you know, every time the SEC is involved, you know, a lot of these cyber disclosures are going to be signed off by a CFO, right, who is, is frankly is not particularly aligned to this space. So I'd love to do one for that community. But um, yeah, time will tell. You've been listening to Sanjit Ganguly, CTO in residence at Zscaler. He specializes in zero trust strategy, network transformation, and digital experience monitoring. For more than 20 years, he has worked in a variety of roles, including as a Gartner analyst. You can get a free digital copy of Cybersecurity 7 Steps for Boards of Directors on CXO Revolutionaries or the resource library on zscaler.com. Before I sign off for 2023, you may want to hear about a couple of Zscaler events. We are excited to host the inaugural Women in IT and Security CXO Summit on January 23rd and 24th in Palm Beach, Florida. This CXO gathering will feature top women executives from leading organizations. After that is the Global IT Leadership Summit in Mumbai, India, with the theme, Unlocking the Power of India's Digital Future with Zscaler, Security Cloud, taking place on February 5th and 6th. We have many listeners in that part of the world, so this can be a great opportunity for them. After that is the CXO Exchange in Amsterdam from March 26th to 27th. This program offers the opportunity to expand your C-suite network, gain valuable insight from your peers, and discuss critical issues faced by IT, networking, and security leaders today. Visit CXO Revolutionaries to learn more. We wish you the best this holiday season and have a great 2024. Thanks for listening to the CIO Evolution. Check back with your podcast provider regularly for more episodes. You can find more episodes along with other podcasts on the CXO Revolutionaries website at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Statements by Zscaler podcasters and guests are informational only and should never be construed as legal advice. You should consult your legal advisor on matters related to you or your business. Zscaler makes no warranties, express, implied, or statutory as to the content of this podcast, and it is provided as is. Content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of the recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Copyright 2021.